Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the EduBabble Emporium, where we discuss what is happening in public education with a common sense perspective. Tom O'Brien is a 30-year public school educator that believes that being bold and speaking truth and wisdom is imperative in today's world of lies and confusion. Welcome to the show, and enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Edge of Babel Emporium. This is our chalkboard interview series, and we are very excited to have Gwen Snowink here tonight. And she is a person that I first met at a Hudsonville School Board meeting a couple of years ago. She got up to speak at a meeting and introduced herself as a retired educator and someone that cares deeply for her community schools and the students. And when I heard her speak, she impressed me as being very well-read, well-informed, and very much up on the current issues facing our schools. And there's no doubt that she's very passionate about bringing common sense values back to the schools. First of all, thank you for being here, Gwen. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it very much. So let's get started by learning a little bit about you and what drives your passion for the schools and the community. And so I was wondering if you could share some of your experiences as a student, a parent, a teacher, uh, experiences that helped you to develop your informed perspective and your strong convictions on the state of our public schools. Okay. Well, I was actually born in Chicago, 1954, so that makes me ancient history as far as my teaching <laughs> career. Um, when I was one, we moved to Galewood, which is um, about a mile north of Rogers Plaza. Godfrey Lee Elementary School was in my backyard. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm the fourth of six kids, uh, and I went to the Christian school, as did my parents. And um, many people believe that um, Christians are holier than thou, but I'll just say that I've learned a lot of things the hard way. And I know to uh, honor God. And so I started out at Calvin College, but then uh, transferred to Grand Valley, okay. where I got my special ed degree. In 1975, uh, special ed was mandated to be in every school, and I student taught at Park Elementary, mm -hmm. and okay. I was hired in as a special ed teacher there. And uh, I just had a wonderful experience with the public school. When you were teaching, it, you, so you started, was it, you say around 1975, 76? 1975, I was a special ed teacher for four years. Okay. And then I became a second grade teacher for five years. So you went to the Christian schools, mm -hmm. but you taught at the public school. Did right. you notice, I'm just curious, because I went to public schools, did you notice a big difference um, um, with the students and behaviors or, no. explain that. No, and in fact, in my childhood, when I lived by Godfrey Elementary, of course, all my neighborhood friends went to the public school. We were pretty much all the same. Um, we had a lot of the same values. I would say my Christian school experience was very stable. Uh, there was a lot of routine, people were kind. Um, I think I was safe emotionally 
and I, I believe that the public school kids were as well. Yeah. In 1975 in Hudsonville, it was a very orderly, um, focused education system. And uh, I just came to appreciate so many people. I was in special ed for two years in the elementary school, and then I was moved to the junior high, so I got to know another group of people there. And then um, my husband got into graduate school, so then I decided I would like books and yeah. curriculum because yeah. back at that time in special ed we were creating everything we were creating the curriculum we were creating the papers and the programs and everything and uh, some of my children had me in um, fourth fifth and sixth grade and then I moved to middle school and they had me again in seventh and eighth grade so so you had quite a variety of your teaching experiences then I did I so, did. So I had good experience, the... and I, and I knew um, all the uh, all the elementary people, and then uh, I learned many of the junior high people. It was called junior high then, yeah. and then in uh, from two thousand one to two thousand nine, I did a lot of substituting in Hudsonville at every building, high school included, and so I really knew a lot of great teachers in Hudsonville, and I would say everybody had the best interest of the children at heart and had a wonderful working relationship with the parents. Yeah. And and I think I think as a whole, I think uh, most school districts, you could still say that um, the teachers and the staff in our schools still have the best intent. But it seems like there's something going on in the schools today that it's almost as if some people don't recognize what it is. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people aren't really aware of what's going on. And I, when I heard you speak a few times at, at uh, school board meetings, I felt like you had a really good grasp of what is taking place in our public schools. And it seems to me that you feel a sense of urgency, like it is time for people to express how they feel and why they feel the way they do. Can you explain a little bit where that comes from? Where that comes from? Why are you so passionate? Um, well, first of all, I'm surrounded. We, we've lived in the city of Hudsonville for 48 years. So I've always been surrounded by neighbor kids who go to the school. And I've always taken an interest in what they're doing, but I really hadn't paid close attention to everything that was going on. And so in the spring of 2021, there was a controversy about um, an in-service that Hudsonville was going to have from Julian Newman. And he wanted to train us on anti-racism, which actually is a form of racism. <laughs> so anti-racism is something, that term was has really been coined most recently by Ibram X. Kendi. Yes. Who was a professor out of Boston. Mm -hmm. And he's a he's a young guy. He's a very famous uh, speaker, and he is. Um, he's written a book called "How to Be Anti-Racist." Right. And uh, I wish I could quote him right now because I have his quotes written. You know about how in order to be anti-racist, there has to be some. Well, one of the things he says is that um, discrimination yes. in various forms is necessary mm -hmm. to bring about something they call equity. Right. Which is um, 
equal outcomes for all, right? Right. That's kind of the, the basis for a lot of the different programming going on in our public schools and really coming down from uh, the Department of Education and the university level. So, Right. So I, that's what woke me up. Gotcha. I started to t- hear that the school was engaging in that. And, of course, I knew we weren't racist because we've always have had children of color in our school, and it was never an issue. Mm-hmm. And, and my experience is from the 70s and the 80s. So um, I knew it wasn't an issue. So that really woke me up and, and got me interested in what was going on. And then um, one of our parents did a FOIA request on some emails concerning Julian Newman's in-service and one of those um, emails revealed that he wanted our curriculum person to know that the parents needed to be managed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that part of his um, presentation really required that the parents be managed. And I sent an email to our board and said, I, I would like you to do a test. I would like you to ask Julia Newman if parents and community members are welcome to attend the in-service. And the answer was a big no. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I said, if he says no, you will know, you will know something about Julia Newman. And so um, I got involved at that point, but really, once I started going to meetings, one thing after another mm-hmm. <laughs> kept being revealed, things that were going Going on, uh, there was a teacher that had a BLM flag displayed. Different LGBTQ um, things were showing up in curriculum and on doors. And um, we have open restrooms now. We have people who are talking about preferred pronouns. And then the latest big revelation on how things are not okay are the sexually explicit books that are coming into the curriculum. Um, People will say, well, the kids can get all that on their phones, they can get it on the computer, that may well be. (laughs) But they don't get it from responsible adults. And um, like you said a few minutes ago, this is is all nationally started. Um, uh, the president of the American Library Association is proud to be an avowed Marxist. Mm-hmm. But I, I heard what you said a few minutes ago, too, about people not being aware, which I think is part of it. We all want to be positive and love the school, as we always have. That's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there is just a real denial, and, and I feel some flack from people because I'm sure. not being nice. <laughs> yeah. But but we don't have um, one-on-one issues with a teacher. I don't hate Hudsonville Public Schools. This is a bigger it's a bigger issue and um, we just have to stick up for the kids. No, and I agree with you. And can I back you back up just a little bit here talking again about Julian Newman? Mm-hmm. And I think I remember this vividly because my wife and I, we, you know, we've had kids in the schools for the past 20 years. We haven't had any issues and we haven't heard anything about Hudsonville having all of these race issues. It's mm-hmm. kind of this thing that's dropped out of the, you know, really dropped out of the sky. But one of the things that really struck me during that era with Julian Newman, and in case you don't know, Julian Newman is 
a pretty well-known anti-racist uh, diversity, equity, inclusion consultant. And he gets paid a very hefty sum of money to come and train teachers in the West Michigan area, and actually uh, internationally. He's an international speaker. And what happened in, in uh, this our district here is that um, there was a lot of the snowball had rolled down the hill and was quite large <laughs> before anyone knew about it. Yeah. So the school board didn't know about this contract that was signed with Julie Newman as a consultant and to come in and train the teachers. Um, when I remember the school board meeting where we found out about this and some of the school board members found out they were irate that they didn't know anything about it. And then it was a week or two out from teacher in-service training in the, in the, in the fall. Mm-hmm. And we requested as parents at the meeting, hey, we'd like to see what's going to be covered. Right. And there was a video that the teachers were going to watch. We said, hey, as parents, we'd like to see that video. And if you, if you were there, I don't know, remember if you were there or not, but um, we were denied being able to see any of the materials and we were denied being able to see the video. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the big things when you just talked about um, people not knowing a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's a lack of transparency. Oh, yes. A lot of this stuff that's happening is happening um, almost, the face of it is seems virtuous and, and loving and kind and accepting, but at the heart of it is cultural Marxism. It's divisiveness, you know? It is. And, and that was the other big red flag for me, that the parents were so distanced. Yeah, you know, that right. was just so foreign to me because that was just not, I mean, everything was so transparent when I was teaching. Yeah. Um, you could walk in any classroom and sit for the day if you wanted. There was no big barrier. It was just all very, very open. And I agree. I, I don't believe our school board ever decided to install all of these ideologies into our school they've just come in and so it's more a matter of getting awareness and then also um getting up the gumption (laughs) to speak because we've always been able to be nice and i i think uh, i think a lot of our school board members many of them have been on the school board for decades and i just i don't know whether they're blindsided or they're just accepting the talking points but um i i feel i have an advantage (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because i i remember how it can be and um i know some people uh, i've had one man in particular who has really been berating me for even being involved Mm. because i'm a christian you know and I, i just say a lot of christian families have used the public school. When I was teaching second grade, of course, I had one. I mean, that's like family, right? When you spend every Mm -hmm. day with your kids. So Mm -hmm. um, I taught second grade. So 10 years later, I would go to their graduations. And wonderful speakers, they'd pray. Uh, One of my girls was uh, um, the valedictorian and gave Mm -hmm. a speech and shared some tough parts of her life that included God. So I just really, I sense they want to put Christians in the corner, right? They yeah. they want to alienate 
Christians from thinking that they can um, participate in the public school. But like I said, Christians have always been in the public school, and um, we're all paying our taxes. Yeah. And uh, I care about my community. I care about my neighbor kids. I've watched them grow up. One, one of my neighbors, I only ever waved to him for probably 12 years. And he invited me to his open house. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. We live in a friendly, we live in yeah. a friendly, friendly community. This whole um, conflict is very foreign to Hudsonville. It, yeah, and when you bring that up, you know, um, when that diversity, equity, inclusion thing came down the pike a couple of years ago, I talked to um, some administrators and um, school counselors um, where my children had attended school Mm -hmm. and it was interesting Um, on two occasions it was made very clear to me that Hudsonville has a problem with racism and I was thinking to myself I'm like and I said this to both of them I said listen my kids have been going to the school and yeah okay my kids are are white middle-class kids okay but they befriended all shapes sizes colors it never mattered to my kids and their friends, nothing like that ever mattered. And I had never heard hide nor hair of any issues like that. Mm-hmm. And yet I was told, oh, Hudsonville has a real problem with racism. Yeah. And it really shocked me mm-hmm. because I, I didn't agree with it. No, I, I don't agree with it either. I mean, when you live in a, in a district that really values the individual, they're paying attention to every child. They're holding every child accountable. Mm-hmm. If someone was treating someone badly, we addressed it. Yeah. You don't sleep it under the rug. I'm not saying it never happened. No, exactly. And they're kids, so they're going to do dumb things. They do dumb things. And they and bully and they do this. But you said that right. You you deal with the individual. We did. And, you know, having been a special ed teacher, my heart broke for my kids a lot of the time. Sure. You know, because they were marginalized because of their limitations. You also have overweight kids. You've got short kids. I mean, to pick on racism, it, it it's a, just a talking point from the left. <laughs> and um, I have reminded the board at times, don't sell yourself short. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know how to do this. Right. Right? And our um, HR person, I mean, I couldn't go to the exact spot where she said it because I didn't write it down, but she made a a point of saying, we like to get people from other places, Mm -hmm. right? And I did hear of one person that worked as a parapro last year that wasn't even given an interview for a position. Mm -hmm. So how much of that's going on? I mean, there's just all kinds of... uh, subtle parts of this that I would have a hard time believing if I hadn't been really immersed in it now for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, the more reading you do and mm-hmm. the more you inform yourself. And, you know, I think that uh, to me as a public school teacher, one of the things that has troubled me the most is that I feel that a big part of this movement is to put people into groups. Yeah. into collectives mm-hmm. rather than treating you know each individual as someone made in the image of God right where their race and their 
ethnic heritage should really have nothing to do with how we as professionals and teachers that care about kids and love kids, how we deal with kids. We're going to do our best to help all kids, each individual. I uh, reached out to a mom at one of the meetings who said that her kids had really, I believe they were biracial, and she felt that they were very bullied. hmm. And so I just contacted her on Facebook and said, I'm really sorry Mm -hmm. that we do not intend for that to happen in our schools. And um, I said to her, but I, I, I wonder, you know, there's a, such a consensus that black people are so pushed down, but there are so many successful black people and so many struggling people of white skin. Um, how do you explain that? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, we don't consider those people really black. And I was just like, well, that that doesn't follow. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and, and, and I think you and I would both agree. There very well could have been things said to certain students regarding race or who knows. Like you said, some kids have problems with their weight, <clears throat> various things. Kids are going to say and do things that are irresponsible mm-hmm. where they don't. There's no forethought. They don't think about it. They don't think about the consequences. But to paint with a broad brush and to categorize an entire district or a group of people because of the color of their skin as being racist or implicitly biased or systemic racism, and I think it, it it's so divisive and so unhealthy. It is, and really... Are we allowing our administrators and our teachers to wash their hands of a problem that kids are in the middle of because they're going to blame it on race, which which can't really be changed? Um, I think it's a cop-out. Hmm. I think if there are kids that are being bullied, we, we better deal with it. Let's deal with it. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, so you're speaking up. You're saying a lot of things. I'm just curious, where do you get your information? How do you know so much about what's going on? Um, because I've, I've heard a lot of people that uh, when, when I talk to certain individuals that are, you know, Christian people and, and I start talking about something going on in the schools, they're like, I've never heard any of that. I know. It's almost like I'm, you know, I'm like I'm making up conspiracies. Yes. Um, so where do you find that you get information or stay informed as to what's what's going on in the schools and what's going on in the world? Well, I'm old. That really helps. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of people yeah. in Hudsonville. I've got a lot of old teacher friends that I still see. Um, I've got neighbors that I talk to. Um, a lot of kids in my church go to the public school. Uh, so, and... <laughs> I might add that every time I go to a school board meeting, and I go a lot, mm-hmm. it's like the the um, comments from that night start me writing my my three minute speech for the next meeting yeah. because I hear things that people are saying that I'm like, no, 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 that's not that's not accurate. Right. So, um, but yes, I do a lot of reading, um, podcasts. I like. Um, Tom Sowell, Tom oh, yeah. Sowell. He's awesome. 
I like um, Mary in the School Library Michigan. She reveals a lot. That's a Facebook page okay. that actually spits out the um, highly sexualized content so you can read it and believe it because who could believe it? Yeah. We couldn't believe it. Um, I will say that um, I have teacher friends, one in particular, who has said to me, hey, I'm going to make up a fake name here. Hey, I talked to Kathy, and Kathy is not seeing any of this in her in her room. Mm. And I'll say, oh, yeah, wonderful. That's because Kathy is Kathy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And you have a certain amount of control in your own room. So True. I say that this is it's like a rodent infestation. You see a little bit here. You see a little bit there. You'll hear a little bit what's going on here. And... Um, it's not every teacher. It's not not every subject, maybe. It, it's just not consistent. But the problem is, just like rodents, if we ignore it, it will grow. Right. So we don't want to just let it get it to be a massive problem before we address it. No, I agree with you. And the other thing I think that's a little bit shocking that I think you would also agree with me on is, um, you know, the original plan of public schools was to be locally controlled districts yeah. where the parents were the driving force behind what goes on in the schools mm-hmm. to uh, kind of be, you know, the schools should be reflective of the values of that community, right? right? And what happened, you know, as I'm sure you already know, that in the 70s, when Jimmy Carter made the Department of Education like the driving force behind everything, <clears throat> in education, Mm -hmm. in public education, it became controlled from the very top, a centralized controlling unit that dispensed all of the materials and all of the propaganda that they wanted the schools to cover. Mm -hmm. And then the thing that was the most sinister about that is they started tying money money to these different programs. So a lot of the things we're seeing in the schools right now, it's, they're not, uh, they don't, originate with the administrators in our districts. Definitely not. I mean, these uh, individuals are doing what they're told. And and sadly, it's the bidding of the Democratic Party is really what it is. It is. And the National Education Association, which is essentially the Democratic Party. Right. 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 Um, it's so, so true. We were, we were, I would say in Hudsonville, those were my years, the 70s, hmm. mid-70 to mid-80s. And we were probably slow to adapt. <laughs> yeah, sure. So that was a good thing, right? Yeah, very good. And and you would find, um, well, you just look at Hudsonville and the growth, right? I mean, all the schools have just exploded with growth. But we had many people back then um, that would come to Hudsonville for the great schools. And immediately when they got there, they would like to have what they had in Grand Rapids. <laughs> right? And so the... Um, the down home, the the family, you know. I mean, we expanded, and and that's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a lot of wonderful people that moved to Hudsonville, but there were also people who had a negative attitude toward Christians, toward orderliness, toward um, discipline, and and over time, that's just eroded. And, and I've I've heard you bring up Christianity on several occasions. Do you feel like some other people feel that um, a lot of the things that we currently see happening 
if you boil it all down, that it is an attack on Judeo-Christian values that are embedded in our Constitution and really an attack on Christianity? Do you feel that? I, I surely do. And um, I've had a strong sense that's developed over these last couple years of my involvement that they, um, the administration, the school, whatever you want to call it, the powers that be in public education are expecting kids to be secular when they walk in the the school in the morning. And that's another thing Mm -hmm. that I know is not true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That is not, I mean, we can't expect, we would, would we really want a school where everyone was forced to disavow God? Well, that's what we're working toward, you know, if we, if we go on with the, the socialist Marxist sort of ideology where the government is God and all the solutions are human and um, Marxist. And um, so I definitely feel that way. Yeah. And I know, I mean, we have 6,800 kids in, in the Hudsonville schools. I know many, many, well, I'm not going to say many, many, I'll just say thousands of them are from Christian homes. Mm-hmm. Even if they don't attend church, they still acknowledge God. They still want to um, major in honesty and hard work, self-control, individual responsibility and accountability. Um, so Christian values aren't um, against public education. They're very much normal values that many, many people wish their children to learn. And um, I I totally agree. We can't push Christianity either. Right. Right? Right. I mean, we should be able to have Jews, Muslims, Hindus, anybody should be able to come to our school and um, go through the school day holding their family's values, their religious values, without being assaulted by the curriculum or by the the staff. I mean, it's just... Um, we're losing focus on academics. Recently, our curriculum director was asked, hey, our math scores are down. Are you guys paying attention to that? And she said, well, yes, we are, but there's new thinking that um, social studies and science, you know, shouldn't take a back seat to math and reading. And um, that's just really troubling yeah <laughs> because of the social ideologies that are being pushed right now and also the science isn't really the scientific method like most people think of science it's we'll take a survey you know and we'll decide which way we need to need to go and um yeah it's just like you said earlier it sounds good everything sounds good by design <laughs> mm-hmm. the wording is nice and, and like you said, um, reading, writing, and arithmetic seem to have taken a back seat mm-hmm. to a lot of these uh, socially, emotionally driven programs, which there seems to be a hyper focus on yeah. as of late. Yeah. There was a post by one of our um, middle school teachers. I had a notebook I started that was called My Traveling Reality Show. <laughs> just different things we were finding yeah. on uh, social media from the teachers. That's a good idea. Different things on the walls that people took pictures of and mm-hmm. shared. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, shoot, 
Um, so there was a middle school teacher who posted um, that getting the correct answers in math showed white supremacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's just some of the thinking that is going yeah. on that is just really uh, not accurate, not traditional in any way, and not helpful to our kids. Right. Yeah, and I've... Um, some of the latest developments, like for example, at the university level, um, several Ivy League colleges now and universities are now disregarding SAT and ACT scores because a disproportionate number of Asians and whites were doing or had stronger scores than other than mm-hmm. other groups, and this anti-racist movement, you know, spearheaded by Ibram X. Kendi and other people says that anything that is not proportionally, um, you know, across the board, even Stephen, mm-hmm. it's defined as racist. Right. And, uh, boy, I think that's just so inaccurate um, because it doesn't take into consideration the multitude of variables of each individual human being. Right. And what and- their experiences are and their home life and their socioeconomic. I mean, we're looking at everything from a race perspective, not an individual perspective. I think that's so dangerous. I do too. I've got two nephews right now who are becoming commercial pilots. I would hate to have (laughs) that decided by someone's race, that they would get a place in the program without reaching all the touch points that my nephews are having to reach in order to become commercial pilots or surgeons or any number of people that have have to have excellence and you've heard that that the a lot of the big commercial airlines are they have quota systems now yes and so and and they need 40 percent of of this this race and this race yes and why do we think why do we think that minorities can't achieve absolutely that's racist in itself it's, yeah, it's, it's like the uh, subtle racism, like soft bigotry. You know? Right. Like lower, lower expectations. It's Absolutely. Just, it's crazy. Absolutely. Um, so I want to ask you, so you've gotten involved. You go and speak. By the way, I want to talk to you just for a second about board meetings. Yeah. So my wife and I started going a couple of years ago, very similar to mm-hmm. how you, and I'm a school teacher. Right. And, and this stuff literally fell out of the sky. And when, when I started seeing all this going on in my district and in my kids' district, uh, we, started, we started going to these meetings. And um, so at these meetings, you get up there and you're thinking, oh, you know, I have a chance to speak what I'm thinking. And, and you get up there and you share for three minutes and you're feeling all energized. And then you see other people sharing and then you go to another meeting. And that same thing happens, and you know people are able to get up there and share, and you go to another meeting, another meeting, another meeting. And what you notice after a while is it's like you're saying words, and they hit a wall, and they fall flat, and you don't ever get any feedback. There's never any, any interaction, or there's not a response to these thoughts and ideas from the community the board just sits up there. Yeah, they do. And it to me, I'm like this one-sided um, 
And I understand you couldn't have every board meeting be a two-way thing Mm -hmm. because that would be too cumbersome and you wouldn't get anything done. But to me, I think that like once every two or three months, have an open forum, have a a meeting where you can dialogue with the board members. Does that, am I the only one that feels that way? Because to me, I get so frustrated at those doggone meetings where you talk and at first you feel kind of good about it. And then after a while, you're like, well... Mm-hmm. No one ever, I don't get any feedback. I don't get a response. And it's just, what, are my words just falling flat? And I think they are sometimes. <laughs> well, I don't know. What do you think about that? I, <laughs> well, I've gone to many, many meetings, and I've spoken many, many times, and I've flubbed up sometimes. You know, I've said things wrong or taken too much time. Sometimes I've shown my frustration. So um, I agree it would be nice I do email sometimes in addition to my speeches. I don't get much of a response on email either. But um, the thing that really drives me to keep going is um, they want me to stop. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Yeah. (laughs) They wish I would just sit down and shut up. And parents are busy. Mm -hmm. That's why I really wanted to talk to you today about getting older people involved. Because parents are busy. And they're distracted. And they're watching one or two children. They're seeing a thing or two maybe, but hey, then they've got to do laundry. They've got to get ready for work. I understand all that. I try never to have anger enter into any of my thinking or my interactions with the board. I try to be respectful of the board. They're just human. Even the teachers are human. A lot of our teachers have been indoctrinated themselves, and they don't even know it. Mm -hmm. So I think I just keep going because they want me to quit. And they keep giving me, they keep giving me material. Yeah. Uh, someone said recently, well, we didn't talk about social-emotional learning at all. Yeah. What we I will call social-emotional training. You know, they are trying to train the kids to think in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And because a school cannot promote religion at all, God can't be part of it. It has to be completely secular, what right. they're teaching our right. kids. And so um, it says... The goal of social-emotional learning is to develop healthy identities, which means LGBTQ, if you like, you know, nothing about God, to manage your emotions. Don't ever get angry at anybody. You have to just go with the flow on whatever anybody's doing. Mm -hmm. Um, To achieve personal and collective goals. There's that little touch of socialism in there. Collective, sure. Show empathy for others. We're always going to feel sorry for everybody, so we can never take a stand on what we believe. This has had so little to do. It was actually brought in when when the schools received COVID funding. Mm -hmm. It was required that 20% of that COVID funding be spent on social-emotional learning, which was sad um, to counteract the trauma that the kids had experienced during COVID. But I see no sign of any um, training or upbuilding about, you know, your personal convictions or even health, even telling the kids to sleep or to eat well or to get an organized life so that they they have time to study and also time for recreation. I mean, all that to me would be a prescription for somebody who is traumatized mm-hmm. to try. But that's not what this is about. And um, to make responsible and caring decisions, that's another part of it. And um, in our fourth grade math, the children, one of the parents came to the meeting and said, 
In fourth grade math class, her child was being encouraged to be an ally and an advocate. Well, that's LGBT um, terminology right there. Mm -hmm. And then Mark Davis, one of our board members, brought up the book, um, The Other Boy, who is about a girl that's trying to live as a boy, and it goes through all the how to get puberty blockers, the stress of your girlfriend not knowing that you're a girl too, um, so, and, and that's a book that's currently on the shelf. Well, in, in here's the thing. Mm-hmm. He came and he said, I'm very troubled by this book that mm-hmm. is a resource for fifth grade SEL. Okay. I see. And um, it's a 270-page book. And I know as a classroom teacher how long it would take me to read aloud a 270-page mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. This is a long commitment to this topic. But they are saying, well, you know, not everybody will use all the resources. We're removing some of those resources, but it's all very fuzzy. And the yeah. other angle that's going on with the social emotional learning in Hudsonville is that they really are pushing to approve this uh, ruler program this spring. But there is no mention of the six through 12 part of the program. And I'm really curious. I, I don't know if we've even looked into the 612 program and if we accept what's happening when they're talking about allies and advocates in upper elementary school. Where are we going with that? What are we building? Yeah, and that's, I think you're right on the money because I think you introduce it. It's innocuous. It's innocent. It's caring and compassionate yeah. mm-hmm. and loving. And I think you are right. I think it does perpetuate somewhat of a victim mentality, feeling... When they say empathy, I, uh, we should all have empathy. Yes. And, and, I, and also, I want to make a point, too, on the, the LGBTQ thing. I think, I think you and I would agree that, you know, all people of all shapes, sizes, Absolutely. preferences, this and that, they, everyone deserves a right to have their freedom here in the United States of America. But I think where you and I would probably agree is that, yes, we need to love all kids no matter what, but what we shouldn't be doing is pushing ideologies that uh, go against uh, many people's personal convictions. Not that people don't believe that you have a right to, to okay, like you have a sexual pre- preference of some sort. First of all, how does that mix together with academia? Exactly. I don't think it belongs there. Mm-hmm. I think that's you deal with that with your family. I think dealing with human sexuality, you should deal with the biology in schools. Right. But a lot of the very controversial things you need to you need to leave it outside the doors of the school. That doesn't belong well, there, right? Exactly. And what you find is a very big push to ignore that children are minors. Right. Right? They they really want and, and if you look at it from an activist perspective, they they believe if they get the children, then they're well on their way mm-hmm. to transforming the culture. But, um, yeah, I am very um, adamant that we need to leave the adult decisions for adulthood. We, we can see now, if you're watching the um, media at all, you'll see people who have kids who have transgendered, um, who've had double mastectomies, and they regret it mm-hmm. because they're doing it as children. And I agree with you on the LGBT um, Lifestyle. I mean, these are adult. That's my point too. Right. Exactly. These are adult. Sure. These are adult decisions, and you'll hear in a lot of schools that the 
the teaching staff is going against parents and encouraging kids to make decisions um, without their parents' influence, and that's just wrong. Yeah, and, and you know, we've heard so much over the last few years um, that we need to have grace for the kids because of the trauma from COVID. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that, oh, these kids go home, they don't do their homework. Well, they don't, they're not mature enough to make these decisions to whether to play video games or do their homework. They're just not at a level where they can make these Absolutely. these decisions because they don't have the acuity yet. It hasn't developed right. yet. Yet we're saying these kids can make decisions that are life-altering, right. permanent decisions regarding their human sexuality at 8, 9, 10, 11, right. 12 years old. And we've convinced a lot of the younger parents that they must affirm yeah, that. Right. And so um, back to my call for older people to get involved, you know, I just, um, I know it's not for everybody, mm-hmm. but I just want to say to the people listening to the podcast, if you're listening to this, it's probably you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? So yeah. Um, I just, you know, we know, older people know about life. We know about truth. Uh, we know you can't play a game for a long time. You know, so um, we know what brings regret. We want carefree childhoods for our kids and our grandkids and our neighbor mm-hmm. kids. And, you know, for those children who are struggling, and I realize they are. Back in my day when I was teaching second grade, we had a lot of migrant kids mm-hmm. that worked in the apple orchards. Okay, and so, and maybe maybe outside of that too, I would generally have one child every year who was very needy. And if I needed them to bring a paper bag or a baby food jar, mm-hmm. I just brought it, mm-hmm. right? Because you know that they couldn't do it. Now it's more. When I was subbing, I would say it was probably four or five kids in a classroom that were really needy, just couldn't pull it together on their own, and you just had to do, do a lot of helping. But um, there are specialists for our kids who are really struggling. We have school social workers. We have school psychologists. We have very caring specialists in um reading and for for different things that they need so we don't need uh, i feel like like the social emotional push and they want this in in every classroom in every subject they want this kind of thinking to always make sure you're making other people feel safe and accepted Mm -hmm. it's just a real um like you said earlier indoctrination like like you can't have you make kids feel like if they have an opinion that varies from this uh, SEL-driven opinion, right. that maybe there's something wrong with them or they're right. hateful it's not right. or yeah. they're not making their friends feel safe or comfortable or whatever the terminology right. is. And what do you think about, too, um, do you think teachers are qualified to be delving into these issues of, you know, some of these issues... And especially as, as these kids get older and they implement SEL at a higher level, teachers, I, I personally, as a teacher, I don't feel qualified to be, you know, having the discernment and the the, the capacity and the knowledge base to... to no, or the time. Yeah. And, and where's the academics? <laughs> or the time. Right? In fact, I heard that one of our teachers, if, if you have a kid who is struggling with you know the lgbtq decision Mm -hmm. uh, you may go to her classroom and she interrupts her class to meet with a child Mm -hmm. i mean that's just 
that, that's going we, on in that's our district. Tr- right. Well, and we're throwing the other kids under the bus. Yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, th- that we have to remember these are minor. These numbers are minor. The kids who are struggling, you know, there are specialists. Uh, there are pastors. There are outside um, counseling that they can go to. And I, I just... Um, <laughs> People yeah. accuse us of being not compassionate, not loving. I can assure you I'm a very loving person. Yeah. I, For the guy who was giving me terrible trouble about being involved, I said to him, I will converse with you on Facebook through Messenger, mm-hmm. only if we can do it in a way where either one of us could give the other a ride home from the meeting. Yeah, that's right? great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? And I feel that way about if any teacher... Anybody, any woke person, uh, an administrator I don't particularly care for, if their children, if their child was on the side of the road and needed a ride somewhere, yeah. they needed a sandwich, no. we'd give it to them. Yeah. And I think when you say you don't care for someone, I think what you're saying is you don't care for these, these, um, these ideologies that they're right. they're promoting. Most these these are good people. We we both would agree on that. I mean these, and I think there's a lot of deception in this world, and I think I there's too. a lot of Things that really do on the face seem virtuous. They really seem to well, be. Well, they do. And things. but some people are, you know, thinking there are the people who think Hudsonville's way too white. They're way too conservative. They're mm-hmm. way too Christian. Mm-hmm. We need to change that. Right. And so for that person, I don't respect that. You know. No, I and agree. I think you just got here. You don't. <laughs> yeah. For a lot of them, they're new. They don't even know. And uh, someone recently said. Oh, we had a wonderful collection at Christmas, and that's due to our SEL program. It's made the kids a lot more caring, and I'm thinking, yeah, I haven't been around very long because our teachers and our kids have been doing those things for decades. Oh, absolutely. And and it's great. And you don't have to be you don't have to be a Christian to do to do good. We have lots of people who aren't connected. Um, to the church, to God in any way, and they're fine people too. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. Um, it's what the public school is supposed to be, right? I, I Supportive of parents, how they want to raise their children, give them a great education, and help them to have a happy day. Yeah, yeah. And back, and, and the one thing you did say, being involved could mean just showing up to the meetings, right? Well, I did. Yes. In fact, um, I, we do have to time as older people to do research we have a lot of life experience mm-hmm. that gives us a wider view and we don't fear people we can't be fired or canceled that's another reason that's i that's another reason i keep in it because uh i'm my husband's retired i'm retired we're too old to be canceled and um i have had people say nothing is happening so i'm not going mm-hmm. but um presence is influence Definitely. Yeah, if we are sitting there, our presence really, really speaks. And as you attend meetings and listen, you will make connections and hear things too that will allow you to share and to, to give your influence. Um, they're hoping parents will drop away. They, they talk about, uh, like, I don't have access to the library. I wanted to check some books to see what was actually on the shelves. Mm. Well, that's only with a parent, you know, um, number or whatever they have, an an account. So they're hoping that the parents will be there for a few years and then drop away. 
mm-hmm. and then their kids will graduate. And um, like I said, I've I just lived among so many people that I love, my neighbors, my neighbor kids. I just don't want them to be exposed to some of the things that our kids are being exposed to right now. It's just not healthy. No, I agree it's with not you. healthy. And I really appreciate your perspective with seniors in our community because what better people to offer common sense and the values that really made Hudsonville such a great place to so live. So true. And, and uh, our country was based on whether people that hate Christians or not want to admit it on Judeo-Christian values. Our Constitution right. was based on these things, which is what set us apart from the rest of the world, and that, which, which is why so our true. Constitution has lasted longer than any other, right? Right, and there's uh, Dennis Prager does a really great analogy where he says if you take flowers out of the soil, if you cut them from the roots, they look good for a while. And and we've had that in Hudsonville. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people think everything's fine and it all looks pretty good, but you need to keep replanting yeah. in, in, in the roots yeah. of our uh, country, of our values. And uh, I, I so agree that we have so much to be thankful for in Hudsonville. We've had so many people, church people and non-church people, that um, established their businesses and their homes and their families to just be, uh, have integrity, to be honest. And, um, you know, one of the um, parents said to me, you really should run for the school board because you would dare say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? First of all, when you do speak, you do it in a very kind, hearted way. Well, I hope so. I pray about it. Never, ever, when I've heard you, never come across as being anything but very understanding and trying to really just relate in, the, in, in just a really compassionate, kind way. Well, I hope so. I, I really try to because I do respect all the people there. They're finding their way. Some people are young. You don't learn everything, you know, right away in life. And But um, I think old people, I'm just trying to say out loud often now, no male has ever changed into a female and no female has ever changed into a male. Do you know how controversial that is? I know. I do know what's controversial. (laughs) Five years ago, it would have been like, oh, yeah, hello. And and I feel like old people dare say that. Yeah. Right? Because, and and we have a lot of farmers in Hudsonville, not as many as we used to, but I was talking to a farmer's wife in the pool the other day, and um, she was saying, yeah, her kids were woke. Hmm. She was not, and I went, you know, farmers states have to stick pretty close to the truth. You yeah. can't really fudge it when you're farming. You no. just have to really go with reality. And I feel like older people, we go with reality. I mean, we, we don't want to play games. We don't, you know, we've tried a lot of dumb stuff, maybe, and we know it doesn't work. So you learn it just, by experience. You learn by experience. And um, we, we love the kids. We love everybody's kids. Right. There's a saying that says, when you're a mom, you're everybody's mom. Well, wait, it's like a pyramid scheme like Amway. <laughs> when you're a grandparent, then you love your kids yeah. and their friends, and then they grow up, and it, 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 you love their grandkids. And um, a lot of this is just not healthy. And I feel like a lot of our young teachers and administrators aren't at the point where they understand yet. 
they think that they would let their children experiment with all this stuff. But when it comes down to it, I don't think they will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing that you just mentioned, that, you know, these young people going through the schools, you say the term woke, which means kind of like current and hip and with all the stuff that's coming down the pike. Okay, yeah. And to me, because I've experienced, you know, um, just dealing with young people on a regular basis, and my own kids in some ways, my kids are, are pretty conservative and Christian, but over the years, they come home from school and they'll share things that run diametrically you know, the opposite direction of the values that we brought our kids up with. Mm-hmm. And I say to myself, should kids be going to a place, a public school, or even a university, where they're promoting a value system that runs counter to what the parents want for their kids? That's not right. No. And why should parents have to, like, almost deprogram their Mm -hmm. own children when they go to school i want my kids to learn these essential skills the basic academic skills that they need to be successful i don't want anyone putting their own personal ideologies into my kids brains because they're so impressionable they are the other thing you know if you're as old as i am you were i was alive in the 60s (laughs) right yeah and um so we were raised, I was born in 54, so we were raised very conservatively. You know, we didn't shop on Sunday. We didn't swim on Sunday, and mm-hmm. everybody didn't. Mm-hmm. I can remember when Meyer opened on Sunday. It seems like it wasn't that long ago, but I'm sure it was. Okay, so yeah. we had um, all that legalism, I guess you'd call yeah. it, and we overcorrected. We did such a great job convincing the next generation that nothing mattered Mm. (laughs) right yeah that then we got to the point where nothing mattered and now 57 percent of girls 12 to 17 this came out the cdc in february february 13 i think 57 percent of our girls 12 to 17 are depressed and hopeless Mm. Right? Yeah. And we've got kids now who don't have a real life. They have a virtual life. They have mm-hmm. a phone life. They never go anywhere. So we are coming to a crisis point with our children where we can't pretend that nothing matters anymore. Mm-hmm. But it, it's like, uh, what do they call that? You know, it's like the cycle. <laughs> yeah. you, go very, you go very conservative, and then you loosen up, and then you go, wait, wait, we don't want to be that loose. And we just have to find our way. I mean, it. It really is um, life. Mm-hmm. It's just life with your own kids, too. You know, you do the best you can. We raised four kids, mm-hmm. and um, we made plenty of mistakes. We let them do things we shouldn't have let them do. We didn't let them do things we should have let I mean, it, it's... Being a parent. It's being a parent. And um, I just, you know, with the Bible and God as my benchmark, my mm-hmm. base... I feel like I can make a decision that I won't regret. And the great thing about Christianity is if you mess up, you can uh, uh, repent, which mm-hmm. means you're sorry for it. 
You tell God, sorry, I messed up. Sorry, I messed up my kids. Sorry, I did this. I yelled at them. I did something. And then you can start fresh again. And we really need that. There's a lot of condemnation in the whole woke thing. You must do this. You must do that. You must think like this. You must support a child who wants to transition to another, uh, to the other gender. Um, There's no basis in fact. It's not kind, right? They tell us we must love them and affirm their transition when we if you live long enough you know it's not going to be good it's not going to turn out well and uh, so yeah we just do the best we can no one does it perfectly i mean i'm really encouraging older people to get involved don't think you'll be perfect don't think you'll speak perfect don't think you'll always get it right the key the key to life is being humble right Mm -hmm. so you make a mistake you own your mistake and then you work from there. And um, that's what, just what I'm trying to do with the schools, just trying to be someone who has, really has the best interest of children at heart. And uh, I hope people see that. I hope the board sees that in me. I'm not their enemy. Um, and, and let's keep in mind that now there are four on our board that share these yes. values that you're talking of. And right. so that's progress too. It's progress. It's progress. And it's reflective still, of the community, right? It is, yes. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, there there are board members that ex- that were always great board members who now have taken a turn and, you know, are supporting things that I am I think are bizarre, like the books, that mm-hmm. they're sticking up for the books. And That's I'm like, really? Yeah, I don't get that either. <laughs> I don't get that. Yeah, so... Um, I do feel that we need to continue to be involved with the board, even though Hudsonville did do a marvelous turn mm-hmm. toward conservative board members, because they still need a lever for action. And if we sit home and we think, okay, now it's all going to clear up, they don't have anything that pushes them into action. We still need to be speaking about what needs to be changed. And I, I really try in my little speech... <laughs> my little speeches, Mm -hmm. not to whine. I really try to ask for something specific, which is being assertive, right? We don't want to be angry. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be passive. Neither of those is good. We need to ask for something specific. And I, I picture taking Hudsonville back, getting it back to a place of stability and integrity. It's like those peg things you see in the gym where you have two pegs in your hands mm-hmm. and you got to climb up that little wooden thing. Yeah. That's kind of how I picture how this has to go. We just I would really really like to get the boys out of the girls' restroom and the girls out of the boys' restroom. So is that happening? That's yeah, happening. Our it is. In fact, one of our that. parents told a story that um, it was in a middle school, I won't say which one, but three boys were at the urinals, and the one girl who um, wanted to live as a boy was waiting for a stall, of course, and um, watch watching the three boys at the urinal. <laughs> Just, I mean, that's humiliating. I mean, this is firsthand information that you have here. Uh, right. Someone who knows about this. I think I could, I think I could remember the, the dad who told me, but... Um, these things are going on, hard as it is to believe, and I think the school may think they must cooperate with that. But a common sense person knows that that is not right. You're and right. And common they, sense is when someone speaks common sense in the 
politically correct world of public education, it's uh, it's almost like it's uh, breaking glass. It's like this, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it's, right. It's, it's so strange where we are right now. It is strange, but I mean, I think like we have to keep saying, boys don't turn into girls. Girls don't turn into boys. Right. They're still what they always were. And with that fact comes a limitation, yeah. right? Because yeah. otherwise you're imposing on the rights of the biologically, um, the biological kids who are using the restroom. And it's interesting, isn't it, that I don't know this particularly for Hudsonville, but they, the transgender kids do not want to use the um, staff restroom. Hmm. They, they really insist that they be able to use the, um, the public room and and so there's just some parts to it that are kind of insincere, I think. Almost and, kind of an activism type yeah. mentality. Oh yeah, the activism. Yeah, yeah. Well, Gwen, uh, this has been awesome. We're kind of coming to the end here, but I always, you know, I've done two of these interviews, but both times I play a clip. Oh. And then I just get a reaction from you. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay. And so uh, this clip, I will tell you is from Barack Obama before he was president. And so when you listen to it, I want you to kind of reflect and tell me how is that messaging different from what he was as a president? This is before he was president. And how is it different from the messaging we're hearing today? Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, let's listen. is it more true than in the African-American community? We know that more than half of all black children live in single-parent households. Half, a number that's doubled since we were children. We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They're more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from home or become teen parents because the father wasn't in the home. The foundations of our community and our country are weaker because of this. So, Barack Obama. Yeah. What what do you think about that clip? Well, I don't know who said it, but there's a quote. Power corrupts, <laughs> right? And that's the only thing that I can think happened to him is uh, once he got power and was influenced by a lot of people who are anti-American, um, anti-family, all the things that socialism needs to flourish. I don't know. What do you think? Why? Well, I- The first time I heard that speech, I'm like, you know, he's reflecting on the systemic issues of the the black community, which, don't get me wrong, all communities in in today's world, we need to reflect and and we need to ponder how are our actions and our choices impacting our kids and our families, right? Mm -hmm. But um, what he kind of did there to me is he laid out a systemic problem that is very present, especially in urban mm-hmm. um, 
centers where 75% of all um, black children are born into a one parent home. Right. Which prior to 1965, it was flip flopped. It was um, 75% were born into a two parent home. Right. And then they passed this welfare legislation yeah. that kind of Lyndon the Johnson, game. I think. That's right. Yeah. Um, but it was just a common sense speech. And the speech goes on, it's a really good speech. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting to me when I first heard it is, you know, having known where he went with his his thoughts and ideas with regard to the problems in society, there was no self-reflection and there was no personal accountability with regard to dads being dads and taking care of their families. It became, we have a systemically racist society, right. white privilege culture, um, implicit bias, you know, and it kind of took the ills of society and placed it on the shoulders of the uh, the systemically white majority. Right. And I just, that's so unhealthy. It is. It really is. Um, once again, driven by money, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the other thing that's happening, even yeah. in the schools now, we're going to find this. I mean, we have these PBIS specialists. We have a lot of administrative things around the social programs. Once you get that rolling, it's hard to stop. Yeah. Right? There's people that are employed. There's money that's flowing in. And so to go back to simple, simple elementary school, (laughs) like I knew it, simple K-12 school, um, would require getting rid of some stuff. You're right. And it can be done. But I think think you and I would both agree. You just talked about the the pegs where you'd climb the wall one Mm -hmm. peg at a time. And I kind of think that's a good way to look at it because we need to break it down and say, listen, we're not going to change it overnight for sure, right? right? It has to be policy by policy. That's right. But step one, get involved. Like you said, go to the meetings. If you can get up the courage, get yourself to be informed and then stand up and speak truth and love and kindness, but be assertive. Right. And... Be Ask specific. for something specific. Ask for something specific. And I think and that's really good information. I keep, really do. Keep buy, I keep buying my neighbor kids fundraising things. Yeah. I keep clapping for athletic events, for theater, for music, for band, right? We we don't hate the school. We love the school. We love right. the kids. We're happy for the kids. If they're they're having a good day, everything that's going on in the school that's good. Yay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got to celebrate it. There's yes. a lot of a lot of good going on, but um if you have a flat tire, you don't sit around and talk about how great the other 3 are. Hmm. You have to deal yeah. with what's broken and when you get older, you dare look at what's broken. You understand that everything's not perfect and um you know that you could have an influence. You can get to work. And and I would just say, too, if you're a praying person, pray. Yeah. Pray for transparency. Pray that things will be revealed so that we know what's going on in the school. Pray for trust to be restored. Uh, between There's been a lot of shenanigans, um, and COVID helped it. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. it, I, I'm not condemning everything related. I mean... <laughs> A lot of good intentions yep. that went wrong, <laughs> yeah. and um, yeah, and and just um, pray for 
the kids to get through school with their um, mind and their soul intact. Yeah. Where they're not depressed. They're not hopeless about life. They haven't given up on thinking about things they might want to do, maybe get married, maybe have children. There's a lot of people who now want to remain childless. Well, as a grandma, (laughs) that's a really bad decision. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm saying that in jest, but... I know. Yeah, we need our kids to lead whole lives, and they need to have agency in their lives. So they need the basics, and then when they get through high school, when they get, maybe they'll go to college, maybe whatever they do, they need to get to decide what their convictions are, what their decisions are. And uh, the public education is there to prepare them so that they have the tools ready to live their lives in a, in a productive and successful way. Don't undermine the values that many parents try to instill in their for sure in their children because I think that's just something that's yeah nobody very, loves very wrong nobody loves the kids like their parents do that's right the school tries you know I, I've seen um, teachers try to marginalize the parent and say if your parent won't support you in that I'll be your new parent well no 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 right that's disrespectful we just we need the the teachers to respect the parents oh I agree. And not think that they're, uh, I mean, some of the most, some of the wisest people I know were not highly educated. That's <laughs> so don't 100%. Un- don't underestimate parents, no matter what they do for a living. Um, or community members, you don't even have to have children to get involved in this. This is affecting all of society. It's long term. So if you have a heart, for kids and want to get involved, please do. Amen. Well, Gwen, it has been an honor to talk to you. And I think that you have a lot of wisdom that you want to share with people because like you said, you've earned it, right? (laughs) You're on this planet long enough. You're like, you do know some things that- You're very kind. I said to my son, I don't knit and I don't do crafts. I read. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of a curse in a little bit in a way. But I have learned, and I want to say this to the older people, and I'm not, it's no offense to say you're older because I'm older too. Um, I'm not the key to anything. You don't have to feel like, I mean, if I miss a meeting once in a while, I miss a meeting. I actually thought I was going to quit mm-hmm. because, you know, I thought, well, there's other people that can do this. And then I went to a football game and I saw all those cute little kids mm-hmm. with their T-shirts and their hair ribbons and their little right. footballs. And I thought, these parents don't even know. They think that they're going to get the same excellence in education and the same character that was always our reputation. And I know they're not. <laughs> well, in the innocence that you witnessed when you went to that game. I know. And you're like, you know, you want to protect it. I did. I just thought, okay, I I know. I know, and a lot of them don't know. But I, I had, uh, my daughter had twins in June. So oh, I thought, cool. yeah. She's got a two-year-old and four-year-old, too, so wow. it's a busy, busy home. <laughs> There's plenty for me to do. My older yeah. daughter said, let's just face it. You could be there every day, all day, and that still <laughs> wouldn't be enough. But I did think I was going to kind of drop out of the school thing. But as time went on, I just seemed to have the time for it. I had the interest for it, and I just um, – but if I miss, I miss. I'm not the key. That can be something where we think, I'm going to change everything. No, we're no, just – That's right. It's a slow – 
it's a slow and steady march back to integrity. I agree. And I also think that when you feel passionate about something, I sometimes, you know, I don't personally, God doesn't speak to me with a voice, but I think, you know, I care about this stuff a lot. It doesn't make me better than anybody no. else. No, 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 no. But I think that there must be a reason that well, I want people like you to be able to have a voice. Even if two people listen to it, that's two people more than than would have, it would have been, right? That's so right. I think that's on my heart, prob- probably because God wants me to advocate for the kids and for the families and for the values that we've always known in Hudsonville and a lot of the communities in West Michigan and right. a lot of communities in the United States of America that we want to bring back to that because it, right. they weren't they were good. Right. Yeah. Silence is compliance, right? If we don't True. say anything, True. we're acting like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And, um, right, we, we were all woven together in a particular way, right? It is interesting how we bring our experience. And yep. I think it's really cool that you as a teacher are doing this because do you take heat for that? Uh, probably behind my back, I would think, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, once you come to the point of caring enough, you, you can't really care if you take heat. No, I don't care. And uh, thank you so much for having me today. It was really, really something not to have to distill this down to three minutes. <laughs> oh, no. I just la- Hey, I'm just glad that you wanted to talk. That's, well, to me, that's what it's all about, is just kind of like uh, sharing your heart and, and your experience. And you're a grandma, and you're a mom, and you're a teacher. I mean, there's just so many different life experiences that you have that, I think you're obligated to share because you seem to <laughs> you see things very clearly and you're able to put it in words that are very understandable, very succinct, and I think that's going to help people. Right. And, I, and I agree with you. I think we all and I'm convicted a little bit because I've missed the last couple of meetings. I feel like <laughs> I need to get back get back at it too because we well, need to show a, support. There's a lot, a lot of people in Hudsonville that that could come just once or twice that would really be helpful and their presence would make a difference. But but we don't get angry. We're not angry at anybody. I get it. People are busy. They have children. They're pesky. They need to be put to bed. They need bedtime snacks. There's homework. All different stages of life, right? So (laughs) some of us have We respect that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, Gwen, thank you so much. And um, I had a lot of fun. I hope you did. And maybe some other time you'd want to talk again because I think it's a, it's a healthy thing. Well, you're very kind to have me. I don't know how long this went, and we'll see how good it was when we listen back and see. Oh, we don't care how good it is. <laughs> it's just, uh, I've, it's I've, just two community members. Oh, uh, there we go. Right. All right. That's right. So, well, hey, uh, thanks for coming to the Edge of Babel Emporium and spending some time with us. And uh, I appreciate you. And thanks for listening. And take care. <laughs>